Welcome to the Quest Express, your passport to immersive travel experiences and cozy conversations. For curious explorers who understand the art of slow travel, we're your go-to podcast. Every few weeks, we touch the heartbeat of a new city where we chat with artists, innovators, historians, and entrepreneurs who make each city come alive. The Quest Express is not just a podcast. It's your ultimate slow travel companion. It's an invitation to begin your own quest. This week, we're talking to Mark and Angela, founders of New Orleans Secret Tours. Mark was born and raised in New Orleans. Mark used to spend his weekends showing people around the city, wishing he could do it full time. And Angela, although she's from the Midwest originally, she never truly felt at home until moving to New Orleans. So the next few days is the story of how Angela and Mark met, went into business together, and I know you'll be inspired by their passion for everything New Orleans. So thanks for joining me today. So excited to speak to both of you. You have an award-winning tour company. Obviously, both of you have a huge passion for New Orleans. And by the way, what is the correct way to say it? What is the native way to say New Orleans? Is it Nolens or New Orleans? No. I always say Nolens is like saying Frisco for San Franciscan people. It's New Orleans, like contact lens. So New Orleans. And it's, we don't say New Orleans unless it's in a, a song or a, or a poem. Thank you. Well, that's a great education. So let me start with you, Angela. You are from the Midwest. Tell me if you can remember the first time you set foot in New Orleans. Sure. Yeah, well, I definitely remember because it was life-changing. <laughs> so I grew up and lived in many different states around the USA. I was uh, sent to do a business project in New Orleans, and I didn't really know what to expect about the city, but I got here, and my first night, I stayed by the airport where my office was. I Ubered down to the French Quarter, and I walked all around the French Quarter. I walked to the Garden District. I ended up on Frenchman Street that night, and during this time, I met the most friendly people. I saw some gorgeous architecture and heard this amazing music that you could, oh, and I didn't even talk about the food yet, but you could just see kind of the love and the pride and the joy just emanating from everything around you. So I was swept off my feet a little bit just by the city itself. Did you have literal butterflies? Because I, cause I'm trying to think of the cities that I love and the only city that I've been to, I haven't been to New Orleans before, which is a, a travesty. But when I got in New York, I felt I had like a crush on New York. So is that kind of how you felt? Yeah, you get this excitement in, in the, your gut. And I definitely had it the second time I came back. I remember stepping off the plane, exiting the airport, and just this overwhelming, oh, finally I'm home. Wow. I'd never felt that before. So, And I wasn't moving here yet at that point. It was just, it was all new. It's the only place I have ever moved to 100% my choice. I actually had to quit that job and career in order to move here. But it was just such a unique place and so vibrant. And I've always been really interested in culture and music and theater and food. 
And there's just nothing like it, you know, here, especially in the continental United States to experience what feels like a totally different culture, even though it's still familiar in that it's the United States and everything like that. There's just so much depth to the the people and what you experience on a, a daily life here. So did you move there alone? I mean, you, you obviously felt a destined calling to be there. I did move alone. At the time I was in my well, mid-30s, I was little... So, you know, I had been an adult for a while and <laughs> kind of knew how to how to handle adulting per se. And I think because I had moved around as a child... I am very adaptable. Moving just, I guess, hasn't been that scary because I'd done it before. So um, it was a little nerve wracking not having a job lined up. That was the scariest part because, again, supporting myself, I needed income. But I was fortunate in that the company I had been working for when I gave my notice was amenable to me working remotely until they found my replacement. I didn't know it would end up being two and a half years of that arrangement, but it, it actually really worked out well for both parties. So that eased the scariness, knowing I had a paycheck once I moved. Yeah. One thing that I loved that I found in your bio was you developed a love for history only after moving. New Orleans obviously has a rich history. And so I want to talk to you, Mark, for a second about you. you're born and raised, right? And my grandfather came here back in the uh, late 40s uh, from Bolivia, South America. That's why I look like a Hispanic, dark skin, straight hair, a little Inca Indian walking around over here. And uh, my dad was uh, raised here. My uncles, my aunts, my cousins, everyone raised here in New Orleans. I think that tourists, when you come to a city that is really known as a tourist destination, sometimes tourists can be maybe a little paranoid, you know, are, are we annoying to the natives? Is it easy to integrate? I would imagine that New Orleans is a place that's very warm, open and welcoming. But what is it like living in a place where tourism is so, I mean, so prevalent and constant? I mean, it's fun. New Orleanians love uh, tourists. They love uh, being asked questions like, where do I go for good gumbo? Or where do I go for good music? Or what should I do? Every local has their recommendations of places to go and things to do. The meat of it, of course, is the French Quarter. And so when you go there, it's nothing but recommendations by by locals on places to go and things to do. But you got to get out of that, too, and go see where the real people live, which is outside the French Quarter in the different neighborhoods. But yeah, we always loved tourism. It's one of the the mainstays. It's, It's one of the ways New Orleans stays afloat is with tourism. We really appreciate people coming to town. Well, Angela, you probably appreciated New Orleans right away because you moved there. But I'm just wondering, Mark, did you ever have a period in your life where you left and came back, even if it was just for a trip? Like, when did you really get or fully appreciate how rich the culture was? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I never envisioned leaving, but because of work, I left. I lived in Dallas, Texas for like a year or two back in the year 2000. And then I came back, couldn't wait to come back. And then I I left again for work again. And I lived in Springfield, Missouri for like three or four years. And when I came back that time, I was with some friends. There was a like a corporate event or something like that going on. I don't remember exactly why, but I took a cocktail tour. And it's funny, New Orleanians all think they know everything about New Orleans. <laughs> but it's funny when you actually take a tour 
which is rare for us to ever give tours to locals. But whenever we do, the locals are always like, oh my God, I had no idea. I, I thought I knew, but I didn't know. And that was me. I, I thought I knew everything. And then I, I took a tour, a cocktail tour, and I just was blown away. I, I clearly had no clue about my own backyard. And then I ended up taking the tour, the exact same tour, eight more times because I was so in love with this tour. And, and the, the tour guide was incredible, an old guy named Joe. It, it hit me that I just fell in love with it all over again. It hit me that I didn't know. And the more I learned, the more I loved it. Yeah. Well, that's it's, it's great to be able to go away and come back and develop more of an appreciation for it. So do you guys want to kind of take us through that tour that you were just talking about? I mean, just some hot spots, certain places that people might be interested or, or should they just reach out to you? And- oh, gosh. You know, either or. What we pride ourselves on is trying to get people away from touristy places and give them a little bit more of a authentic look at New Orleans. Um, the cocktail tour is a history tour. Uh, it's not a pub crawl. A lot of people assume it's a pub crawl. And we, we try to outline that on our website as much as possible and explain so that they have the right expectations. We're not going to be on Bourbon Street. We're not going to do the Bourbon Street thing. That's what everybody thinks. You know, New Orleans, Bourbon Street. Yeah, why do I need a guide? I can just walk down Bourbon Street. And we agree. There's no reason to have a guide on Bourbon Street. Just bar hop all you want. And so we get off of Bourbon Street, first of all. And we try to go in these little nooks and crannies around the French Quarter, going over history, going over classic cocktails, going over what a cocktail really is, the history behind it. And uh, finding some of these little gems here and there. A lot of times it depends on my guests, too. I don't really have a prescribed tour. When I show up, our tours are nine people or less, first of all. It's always extra, extra small. It almost feels private. When I meet my guests, I find out from them, what do you like? Where do you go? What do you drink? What are your impressions? And because it's such a small group, we can have this interaction. and We can have this conversation about what they enjoy and what they like and what they already know. And so I take it from there and I bring them to some of these little places that are off the beaten path and definitely not on tourist radar. I know that you asked for examples of places, so I'll give you one little one. But one of my favorite places is uh, that most people would probably not know to go or not know that it was there is the Irish Cultural Center in the French Quarter. The Irish Cultural Center is a little museum. It's tiny. It's like one room museum about the Irish. Most people don't realize New Orleans is a very, very Irish town. And it was Mardi Gras Day a few years ago, and Angela and I were walking around the French Quarter, and we happened upon this little museum. And we're like, wow, oh, I get to learn more about you know, the Irish of New Orleans. And of, I wasn't thinking clearly, because it's an Irish museum. Of course, there's a bar in there somewhere. So I <laughs> went into this little museum, and sure enough, past it, past the courtyard, this beautiful courtyard, there's this tiny Irish pub called St. Pat's. And it is amazing. It's one of my favorite Irish pubs in the world. You know, I love Irish pubs and uh, they make an Irish coffee better than I've had anywhere. The the family's been in business. They've been in New Orleans for almost a hundred years, the Ahern family, and they're just amazing. But their Irish coffee, I don't know what kind of magic they're putting into it, Mm -hmm. but whenever I give it to someone, they're just blown away. And to learn about the Irish of New Orleans is something really important too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I didn't know that. So that's an education right there. That was it a similar migration pattern when they came over? Was it during potato famine times? When did they intersect with? Yep, just after potato famine, right? And it's the same time that you see all the Irish show up in Chicago and New York. 
Remember that New Orleans was the next biggest port, so they also showed up here. They're responsible for building most of the canals in Louisiana, southern Louisiana, New Orleans area in particular. So many Irish show up, in fact, that uh, just upriver from the French Quarter, we have an area called the Irish Channel. And so this is where the Irish settled. But they are responsible for so much of the infrastructure of New Orleans that we have today. And even they've contributed to the Creole cuisine as well. And of course, some of our greatest bars. I mean, maybe our most famous bar in New Orleans is Pat O'Brien's. So yeah, it's a it's a big part of New Orleans culture. Most people don't realize it. Yeah. So Angela, do you remember any favorite spots in that first year? Oh, absolutely. So Frenchman Street, that's what we call it. But Frenchman Street is a long street. However, there's about two and a half blocks just on the other side of the French Quarter, opposite of Canal Street side. Two and a half blocks of amazing music and some great restaurants. You have bands that play right out in the street and then a whole bunch of different clubs that just have New Orleans style music, um, whether that's the New Orleans funk or the brass bands, or you have some Zydeco, which is not from New Orleans, but we certainly love it here too. And then of course some jazz. And what I love about it is, you know, people ask me, so where's the best place to go on Frenchman Street? There is no best place. They're all phenomenal. I remember my first night that I mentioned earlier, I found the Spotted Cat and I just sat there and listened to this traditional Dixieland jazz music, which is very happy. There were swing dancers there that night and everyone was just caught up in the beauty of the music. And, you know, I like I said, I was swept away. But I love going back there and I love recommending it to people too to visit because during the day, it's just residential nothing special. But at night, it really comes alive starting about 4 to 6 p.m. at night. And it's not like you have to dress up. This is come as you are. It's a place to go have a few drinks with a friend, watch some music, or you can even go solo. That's fine too. I did. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You'll make friends. New Orleanians are some of the friendliest people. We talk to strangers here. That's completely normal. Yeah. But you're not stuck, too. So if you, a lot of times in other cities, you travel to a destination to see music, and lo and behold, maybe they're sold out. Maybe it's just not your vibe that night, and you're not feeling it, but now you're at this one location, and there's really no place else to go. Not the case on Frenchmen. You just hear what's playing out in the street, and wherever you like, look in the windows. If there's room for you, great. Go on in. Um, They don't charge a cover most places. Um, You're just expected to buy a drink and then tip the band. So I love the variety. I love the accessibility. And then, yeah, it's just good old New Orleans. It's it's fun. So I have a question for you guys. So this thing, the impromptu playing in the streets, I don't see that anywhere else. Is Is that a common thing? And how did it start? Does that happen only during festivals? Is it is it a tradition? And how did it start? Uh, good question. I, and there's two different things. Mm, my question for you is, do you mean just like a band playing in the street? Or do you mean like a, a parade coming down the street with a band and people dancing behind them? Yeah, not a parade. I, I just mean like informally. Like it seems to come out of nowhere. I've seen a couple of videos where there's just all of a sudden there's like trombones playing in the middle of the street. What is the what's the trigger for that? And is it common? Great, great question. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a clever <laughs> answer. Uh, there is no trigger. It's all the time. It's every day. It's 
because. Wow. And it, there's, it, you know, I love that. There's no real reason it could be because it's Tuesday and this band decided they wanted to go play outside. Uh, one of the things I love about New Orleans so much is that you're always surrounded by art in some way, shape, or form. The Creoles of New Orleans were always known as very, very emotional, very artistic people. And it, it grew this culture of art. So wherever you stand in the French Quarter, you're going to see the art of architecture. You're going to hear a band somewhere. You're going to smell food, which is art in New Orleans, or cocktails, which is art in New Orleans. But yeah, so music is, of course, such a mainstay and so important that it's it's everywhere all the time. Not unheard of for it to be, you know, Wednesday at two o'clock and there's this incredible band playing on the corner of, I don't know, St. Peter's and Royal. It's everywhere. And it's, it's not a surprise here. That's just it. It's, it's funny to watch tourists. They, they get so excited to see a band. And for us, it's like, this is normal, you know, but for them, it's new. You know, they can't, they, it's just yeah. strange to see a band in the middle of the street playing. And for us, it's like, it's every day. It's just enjoying life and playing. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it, that's exactly right. Enjoying life. Yeah. So I think one of the most, I mean, well, obviously the U.S. is a melting pot. When people think of New York or Toronto or London, they're all kind of melting pots. But New Orleans really is a a collision of several different cultures. So if one of you could talk about the influences, and then I think that it's the influences that have created the food and the music and the art. So let's talk about a little bit of the history of New Orleans from your perspectives. I'll just start just briefly. You know, you mentioned New York. It's my second favorite town in the world. I absolutely love New York. As Angela knows, I am ready, always ready for New York. I absolutely love it. But I want you to just picture New York. Manhattan is this island. This is Long Island. And it's got all these places for different people. And, you know, you want Italian food. There's Mulberry Street. You know, you've got Little Italy. You want uh, Chinese food. You've got Chinatown. You've got all these places where people are. And the most authentic foods in the world is there. You know, you can find authenticity. But you have to remember that those same people that that settled in New York also came to New Orleans. So if you listen to our accent, it's a very similar accent. Uh, We sound just like we have a Brooklyn accent in New Orleans, depending on where you grew up. And so it's, uh, it's, that's one of the main reasons. But in New Orleans, those same people are here. And they did not branch out and find their own places. So they mixed into the gumbo pot, as we call it. And so all these people shared kitchens. And that's really where this whole idea of this Louisiana cuisine comes from, from shared kitchens and different people and different ethnicities sharing these ingredients, sharing techniques, sharing cuisines, and mixing it into what we have today. And so it's evolved from the 1700s up until now, and it's continuing to evolve. Wow. Exactly as you said, is where you think of Chicago and New York City, you have all these immigrant groups that had their own neighborhoods, and that's where they stayed. They worked, they played there. But here in New Orleans, people lived right next to each other that had different backgrounds. They worked in each other's homes. Early times lived in very close quarters, too. So you could hear like uh, how jazz is invented. You hear all these musicians trying something new and you riff off it. And lo and behold, you've incorporated big band with African rhythms and everything else. And you have a whole new genre of music. So it was just that sharing. And I think that curiosity that people had here where, oh, hmm, that tastes really good. How do you do that? What's, you know, and they take that and start incorporating into their own and adding to it their own flavor. What I would like to know is 
what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, why? Why was New York culture not like that, other than it was a bigger, maybe a bigger city? But what caused the openness and the sharing? Do you know what the context was, why people were so open and mixing? Yeah, I, I would think it's because of the economic times. You know, I think that New York was doing potentially, I don't know, but I think they were doing a little better and could afford a little bit more separation and lines of demarcation. In New Orleans, we had those lines too, but there was a lot of it was blurred, especially when it comes to the kitchen and the people were a little poorer. And I would think it allowed for them to, to out of necessity, mix different things. So uh, for example, when the, the colony starts in the 17, early 1700s, you know, they're the French that were here were were surviving with ingredients from the land. Well, they didn't know how to survive in this land, but who did? The Native Americans. They were here well before it. So the French are surviving with techniques brought from France, culinary techniques, but now they're using Native American ingredients. They needed those people to show them what they could eat and how to eat certain things. And so now, now we have a new cuisine, a French Native American cuisine. Well, it didn't end there because the Spanish show up. And they bring with them a whole new set of techniques and ingredients and thoughts on how to do things. And so now it's a French, Native American, Spanish cuisine. Well, it didn't end there. You know, it, African, Haitian show up and we have a whole new set of, of cuisine. And it just didn't end there. It just keeps going and going and just mixing and mixing and mixing and mixing to have what we have today. I, I, I don't know exactly how it happened in, in New York. I, I think people went into certain neighborhoods potentially stayed. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think there was a whole lot of overlap. They built up these restaurants over years and it just kind of stayed a certain way. Because when you think of places like Little Italy, for example, it's very much Italian or Chinatown. You know, there is no Chinese Italian restaurant <laughs> yeah. that I know of. And maybe there is, I have no idea. But, but they're very proud of those demarcations, those lines. And that's why I love it also, the authenticity. But in New Orleans, I think out of necessity, financial necessity and, and economic necessity, people needed to share things like kitchens, you know, and ingredients. And so yeah, we were just a smaller society in general. So mm -hmm. you had to use each other's skills. And a lot of times that meant going out, maybe out of your comfort zone with the people you came over with. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think the moral of the story is if we mix more, we get blur the lines, we get innovation. It's just more fun, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The New Orleans cuisine of today is definitely different than it was just 20 years ago or 10 years ago for that matter. Like I said, it doesn't end. It continues to evolve, you know, after we've got initially the first four major groups that, that start New Orleans cuisine is Native American, French, Spanish, and Haitian or African. Those are the four major ones. But then it didn't end there because then we've got the Germans that show up and we've got Italian and Irish the Cajuns, huge influence to New Orleans, and it didn't end there. So today we're adding into it with the Central Americans are doing some amazing things with New Orleans cuisine and mixing in and changing it. But maybe the biggest influence today that most people don't realize is that New Orleans is a very Vietnamese town. What? The Vietnamese have changed New Orleans cooking and it's changing more and more. Oh yeah, it's a thing now. You got to come to New Orleans, eat Vietnamese food. It's absolutely fantastic. There's a great show on Netflix called uh, Ugly Delicious where David Chang, famous chef, does an entire thing about the Viet Cajun movement of Southern Louisiana, and it's absolutely fantastic. But today we've got some incredible places. Even our po' boys are being changed. There's a great restaurant called Bon Mi Boys owned by a guy named Peter Nguyen, 
and they're just mixing the concept of po' boys with bon me, if you know what that is. Yeah. And it's just incredible. I could keep going on. One of the top five best king cakes in New Orleans is made at the Dong Phuong Vietnamese Bakery. It's just, uh, it's, it's huge today. And king cake is an extremely traditional food for Mardi Gras. It's like the sugar cookie is to Christmas. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the food. So to have, you know, influence like that, that says a lot. Yeah. And how we're all okay with it. We love it. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, it's fantastic. And these are the things you only learn when you get here. Yeah. This is not in the media, right? This is right. not, uh, and this is the stuff that we, we love to show our guests whenever they come to New Orleans. This is what we want to emphasize is some of the truth. Mm-hmm. It's not all Bourbon Street. Yeah, it's not all Bourbon Street. So for first timers, people who, let's say anyone who wants to go to New Orleans for the first time, and maybe they want to really mm-hmm. spend a couple weeks there. Whoa. Do you have any tips on where where you think they should stay? Where would be like a central location and any any recommendations? Yeah. Oh, also my other question was any recommendations for the most fusiony restaurant you can think of that's out there right now, like the most influences? Wow. Yeah, uh, there's a couple that I'm thinking of offhand. Where where to stay initially? If this is your very first time, the French Quarter is very touristy, very much so. But if it's your first time, you got to do it. It's almost like saying, you know, no New Yorker would send me to, to say Times Square is where you go. But you know what? If it's your first time, you got to go to Times Square. You got to go experience the lights. It's incredible and seeing all the things to do. So if it's your very first time, I recommend staying in the French Quarter or just across Canal Street from the French Quarter, which is where we call the the CBD. In New Orleans, CBD means something completely different than it means in uh, California there. It's a central business district. So it's it's just across the street. So it's a beautiful area, huge buildings, a whole different set of history, but you're just across the street from the French Quarter. So it get, allows you to take a step out of it. If it's your first time, I always recommend French Quarter or CBD. And from there, you can go and branch out. But you really want to see the French Quarter, spend a lot of your time in the French Quarter initially, and then branch out. Go see the other neighborhoods, the Marigny, the Treme, the um, Warehouse District. It's incredible. And then, of course, the Garden District, Mid-City. Audubon. There's so many different neighborhoods. It'd be like if you have a few weeks and you just stay on Manhattan and you don't go see Brooklyn and Queens, etc. You got to get out and see some of the outlying places. And they're not that far. We're mm-hmm. talking 10 minute drive at that or take a streetcar there. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Great answer. And if you really want to see some of the natural beauty of this whole landscape, City Park is right there. You can take the streetcar right from the French Quarter and they have the big, beautiful southern live oak trees that just sprawl, feels like for forever, with the Spanish moss hanging down. Uh, one of my favorite places to recommend is a sculpture garden where you can see all that. But they also have world-renowned artists, pretty major pieces of work in this sculpture garden, and it's free to enter. And right next to it is a Cafe du Monde, in case you uh, would like some beignets <laughs> apart from oh, the, yes. the French Quarter. Yeah, you got to have those. So do you guys have any favorite festivals or annual events outside of Mardi Gras? Wow. Yeah. That's a big question, too. <laughs> yeah, we have festival season. I count down the days to Jazz Fest myself. We always pick one day and we do Jazz Fest. It's just so much fun. Uh, you just got to be good with heat and crowds but if you're all right with that you bring your your umbrella and your lawn chair and you go in (laughs) and your appetite because the food is incredible and uh and you enjoy the music it's a lot of fun i love that so is that july 
That's in April. Yep, it's always the last weekend of April and the first weekend of May is Jazz Fest. Aren't they great? On Saturday, we'll have a whole hour with Angela and Mark where we'll get into their career path, how they intersected, how they started working together, and of course, all about their tour company, Norland Secret Tours. So definitely hit the follow button to get notifications, and we'll see you on Saturday.